0: Today my guest is Professor Daniel Merz, Head of Research at Ofsted. He was formerly Professor of Education at the University of Southampton. Today we are discussing teacher and school evaluation and the research behind it, which has obvious relevance to Daniel's day job. Daniel, hello. Hi. Um,
1: you're the first person to have a job like this at Ofsted. And I, I believe, is that right? Yes, that's correct. The uh, first head of research at Ofsted. That doesn't, of course, mean that Offset hasn't done research before <laughs> I came. there. There's plenty, there's a long history of Offset research. But yes, the first formally in this job.
0: So what's your sort of day-to-day role? Are you there... To evaluate what Ofsted are doing, to set future goals for Ofsted, to
1: you know, what's your typical, you know, what was the job description they sold it to you as, <laughs> I guess. Well, um, we have uh, quite a large research program coming up, which goes across the different Ofsted remits: so early years, further education and skills, schools, social care. And basically, I lead that programme and ensure that um, methodology is sound and that we are sufficiently robust and that um, really we deliver on the research that we're planning to do, which is both meant to inform the organisation internally, but also to uh, produce useful and relevant findings for the education community more generally.
0: Is that about Ofsted? You know, are you evaluating Ofsted or are you evaluating... The, the things that Ofsted are inspecting, w- w- in whichever sector that is,
1: um, it's very broad. So some some programs that we are going to do are more specifically about what Ofsted does. Other, other programs are more about um, educational aspects that are important to Ofsted as an organisation. Mm. So it's broad. And.
0: As the first person to do that role, you mean? Uh, at the time of this recording, we're uh, I think nearly two months in. That's your right. Role. Yeah. How are you finding that? I mean, education research is 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 so complex, <laughs> and the amount of variables are so extreme. When you're having to concentrate on, uh, you know, a focus area that Ofsted may have, does that you know is that difficult? Is that very hard? Or do you have to make
1: caveats all the time? Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily harder than doing educational research within the university context because all those things apply there as well. Mm. Of course um, education is complex, of course as you say there are many variables that impact on everything that we do. What that means is two things, one that we have to try and be as robust and comprehensive when we do our research as possible, but second also that we need to acknowledge what the limitations are of what we do because any research project has limitations. There is no, um, in contrast to what people sometimes suggest, there is no kind of golden rule that will make a fantastic research project. It is individual and everything has caveats. Mm. And I guess the communication of that research. I mean,
0: we have reached a point where the teaching profession is a lot more, perhaps, research savvy mm-hmm. than than it has been in the past. Yeah. With that comes a danger, I guess, that people interpret research in a certain way, or do you need to be very clear in you how you uh, present your research that you're going to do over the next year, two years, so that you are making clear the limitations, you are making, you know, how explicit, would you be more explicit in an Ofsted report or internal or external than you perhaps might be? for the University of Southampton?
1: I would hope we would be explicit in that in whatever research we do. So also when um, you do academic research, you should be very clear about what the limitations of your research are, what you can and cannot conclude, uh, what the warrant is for um, the statements you make. That is true for um, research at Ofsted, that's true for research academically as well, but certainly we will endeavour to do that and have clear and transparent methodologies. Mm. And I guess in... The academic world that you sort of temporarily perhaps
0: left behind, you have the um, the likes of Tim Van der Zee and the Open yes, yes. Open Science Network in in the um, in the states. Um, mm-hmm. Brian Nosek, they they are sort of attempting to clean research up. Sure. So is there a you know how much of that research body we're looking at, say for education or in any given sector, are there right like real problems in perhaps methodology but also how how it's been communicated in the past have you know you're talking about best practice in academia is is to be explicit about mm. limitations mm. are those guys hunting out where people have not been explicit or is that are those guys hunting out where
1: where there's methodologies that are flawed it's both of those i mean um they're looking at two things firstly they and others have obviously picked up on the fact that sometimes when we write up research and that um has been true in a lot of fields. We don't include everything that is important for people to actually understand how reliable and valid the research is. So that's a reporting issue. And then secondly, there have also been issues in terms of some fundamental flaws in the research. So things like um, what they call P-hacking. So doing a whole range of statistical tests and then just picking out those that are statistically significant. Um, stuff like that unfortunately we know that that does happen and in part that is a result of the kind of publish or perish culture Mm. in academia which puts people under a lot of pressure to get kind of interesting findings out there so that you can develop your publication profile so that so it's both of those.
0: Does that include, uh, you you mean you've done a literature review for the EEF on metacognition, is that Mm -hmm.
1: right? That's right. When you're doing something like that, are you looking for those things? Uh, Yes indeed. Um, When we did the literature review for uh, the EEF, I worked with um, my colleague Christian Bokov, who you know, um, and he specifically did an analysis of that. So he looked at um, the kind of P-hacking, whether or not that was a big problem in that particular field of course there are limitations again in what you can do with that because those methodologies are very much still developing but it's something we do need to look at in research and we do need to make sure that we are um, aware that those things happen that we try and um, tease those out and also that we um, remain very aware that what is published is not necessarily all the research that there is and um, That is true outside of the world of education, even more so than in the world of education. Think of medicine as a massive problem with unpublished research findings, for example.
0: Mm, It's interesting. So,
1: like, there is a problem, but we shouldn't
0: let that problem devalue the whole research body. No,
1: absolutely not. Um, I mean, this is not case that everybody is doing those kind of things there is a lot of very good very robust research out there what I would say is that it's always worth looking at the body of research in a particular area rather than fixating on one particular individual study because of course um, it is always possible that we have um, a non-replicable uh, finding for example so when we look at um, something like metacognition for example it's worth trying to look at the body of research and what that tells us Um, and obviously we have uh, some useful methods like meta-analysis that can help us with that. So those sort of headline here's the paper that's gonna kill X or kill Y theory that's a little bit um, over the top in my view it's never going to be just one piece of research that's going to give you the definitive answer to any question in education education is too complex for that frankly Mm. (laughs) and And moving from academia to
0: to uh, ofsted mm. have have you got the 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 time and the resource to to do all these checks that you, you you talk about
1: um yes we have um we have a growing research team so we have quite a lot of people in our team now so um And what we do do as part of our research projects is we do a literature review on whatever the topic is that we are looking at so that we can try and see what is out there and the broader body of knowledge. So it's not just that we just go in there and do the research without any prior um, study on that.
0: Mm -hmm. And so with with, with that established, we look at teacher evaluation Mm and. The research around teacher evaluation—we, you know, there's been a big movement away from observations. Yeah. Uh, we interviewed Rob Coe a few weeks ago, and he was talking about how observations are flawed because you can't see learning. You no, know? agreed. And there are visible elements of good teaching, and, and not visible elements elements of good teaching. Do you think then that you know where would you s- if you were a head teacher looking to evaluate, you know, are my staff
1: performing? hmm What does the research suggest you should do in that situation? Basically what it suggests is that you need a relatively holistic approach to that so that you don't rely on any one individual method, be it observation or be it uh, student attainment results or be it um, what people say about the individual. There is no one measure that is going to give you a reliable view of that. So if you are Looking within a school to evaluate, then it's best to draw on a range of different sources and different data to try and inform that judgment. Because we find that the more um, holistically you look at that, the more likely you are to get to a valid endpoint. And is
0: it? I mean, does that help iron out some of those variables? You know, if you talk to teachers, they will always tell you that's a bad cohort. You know, that's a bad year. Our results were bad that year because we had a bad year, and it's an anomalous year. Does that help iron out some of that? Does that help explain some of that?
1: Well, sh- well, sure. I mean, obviously, um, you could never attribute the attainment of pupils purely to what the teacher does. Mm. Um, of course, um, the biggest predictor of students' attainments is their own prior attainment. So, indeed, if you have a particularly weak cohort in a year, um, it would be entirely unfair to judge a teacher or, indeed, a school just on that one year's data, you need to look at that over a period um, so that those kind of cohort effects get ironed out or you need to do some kind of value-added measurement so that you take into account the starting point of the pupil and not just the end point. Mm. With the progress measure I guess. For example, yes absolutely though of course you have to be careful with that as well especially when you are looking at individual teachers because Cohort size are, by definition, quite small if you're looking at one particular classroom. And what you then have is um, very large confidence intervals. So your estimate, your value-added estimates are not particularly reliable. No. So again, I would certainly not advocate um, judging teacher performance based on value-added measures alone.
0: And is there, I mean, some head teachers may look at their successful teachers in that school and say, Okay, a direct approach to teaching is is what these kids... That's how we get the best results for these kids. Or perhaps, you know, that teacher's doing progress, um, group work really well, and those kids are making loads of Mm -hmm. progress. Is it dangerous to to sort of say, okay, that's working, let's roll that out across the school because of the individual teacher effect, you know, believing in what you're doing?
1: Yeah, um, it's dangerous first to say that that is um, one particular method that is always going to work in any classroom, in any school. Um, Teaching is uh, partly a contextual activity, so it's about the interaction between the teacher, the students and the curriculum of particular subject which will determine what works and what doesn't work. Of course teachers have um, different skill sets as well, so um, it would be. It would be dangerous to judge um, on just one teacher in a school as being the practice that everybody then should be doing. Mm. That doesn't mean to say that there shouldn't be any consistency in what happens in a school, though, because we do know that um, pupils benefit from a, a feeling of consistency and coherence in terms of what happens in a particular school environment. Does that mean? Uh, does that necessarily
0: mean stringent rules or does that does it necessarily mean consistency of approach? Could it be a bit more... Consistency
1: an- of approach is really what I'm talking mm. about um, in that respect. So um, I would say that the evidence on how stringent you need to be on, say, behaviour is not that clear yet at the moment. But what we do know is that consistency of approach within a school... Um, a, a shared vision on what that is, shared approaches for teachers. Because what what people find really frustrating is if they can do X with teacher A and don't can't do that with teacher B. That's mm. something that really um, gets their backs up and that causes problems in the school. So it's it's consistency of approach, whatever that approach is. So whether it's the, a laissez-faire approach, whether it's a
0: you know. Army approach, whatever the approach is, as long as you're consistent with that, the research suggests that that consistency, consistency
1: is, is, is very important, yes. And um, as I say, uh, the research on what exact behavioral approach you should use is currently not as clear. So there is evidence for uh, both um, kind of no excuses approaches, but also for approaches which are much more or less a fair that, for example, the least approach which... Um, says that you should um, let small misdemeanors go there's also research supporting that so that's another thing that you get in educational research of course is that there's not always a clear answer and sometimes we actually, and this sounds a kind of cliche answer for a researcher but we do need more research <laughs> yeah. before we can actually say anything <laughs> and
0: there's a big habit at the moment of taking ideas from different contexts so yeah. like uh, Finland's doing this or, or you know Singapore's doing this or Yeah. You know, charter schools in the U.S. are doing that, yep. and there was an interesting discussion I saw from a, um, I can't remember who it was actually who was saying that's a really dangerous idea to take things out of context and not understand the context in which it was derived. Is there?
1: Does that mean that there's no real universals out there for us? Um, I wouldn't go as far as to say that because um, when you think about it, what we are fundamentally concerned with is learning and learning based on the architecture of the brain and that is not something that differs between countries or between people particularly so um, I think there are universals where that becomes very problematic however is if you pretend that those universals are um, education system characteristics because those certainly are not universals because they are enmeshed in particular cultures in particular attitudes etc and um, so I am very dubious about a lot of the conclusions that are taken from those kind of international comparisons so um, for example when we, we we've had a big Finland vogue uh, that's a little bit less now now there is a town in Pisa but yeah. um, you can't just take the culture of Finland and transport that to England there is a history of a particularly high evaluation of the teaching profession there, which is to do with the um, history of Finland as largely having been um, pressed by various other countries, Sweden and Russia, what have you, and uh, teachers being the kind of guardians of Finnish culture and things like that. So there's a big history behind that which you can't just translate to here. Similarly, uh, Singapore Singapore is different. I went to Singapore a couple of years ago and um, was having lunch with uh, some colleagues from uh, National Institute of Education there in this suburban shopping mall. And they said, OK, we want to show you something. So they take me to the equivalent of the Waterstones or something in the shopping mall. And I walk around and about half the bookstore is just test preparation booklets for all ages from 0 to right <laughs> to way. 18. So that still tells you something about the culture in the home, and yeah. again, that's not something that we can just uh, transform, translate into the English context. So um, we do, of course, want to learn from other countries and other contexts, but we need to be careful about not forgetting the cultural differences that are underlying some of those. So when you are talking about creating a world-class system, yes, we need to learn from best practice elsewhere, but what we really need to try and do is create a world-class English system and not try to become Finland or Singapore, because that's not going to work. Mm. And I guess when you look at individual schools and the differences between individual schools, one of the
0: biggest bits of feedback I get when I go out each week into schools Mm. is, oh, we hate it when people say we need to be more like London or... That the school mm. uh, two miles away has a completely different context to our context. Why, you know, are the lessons to be learnt between these schools are different. How problematic is that from uh, an evaluation of a school performance point of view? And also, is it true that there's there's nothing to learn between those contexts?
1: Um, I think context matters, and we know that it matters, and we know that, say, Southampton is not London, so some of the, some of the issues are different Um, however it's going too far to say that we cannot learn from other schools that things are so different that uh, there's nothing possibly we can learn from the school down the road Um, i think when you look at um, a lot of the practices that you see in um, schools that are particularly effective they are actually quite similar so we need to find a balance between what are the kind of more generic elements and what are the contextual elements within uh, school effectiveness. And they are both important. So mm. yes, we can learn, but we have to be careful that we take context into account in that. Is there a
0: way as well? I mean, I, I was in a school in Norfolk, and the way they described their situation to me sounded so similar to a school I'd seen in North mm. Devon. Yeah, To try and connect those
1: schools a bit, I mean there, there is not would
0: be a network for that I guess.
1: No, but I'm, I'm very much in favour of that idea and sometimes connecting schools in different parts of the country can be very valuable because it can be the case that actually our context is more similar to a school in Devon than it is to the school nearest you in Norfolk mm. and what also can be an advantage in that respect is that that school in Devon is not your competitor, so uh, yeah. it can sometimes be easier to talk with a school that is um, further away from you. In some cases, mm. so we, I think the, I think that is very helpful thing that uh, we can try and encourage in the system. Yes, and when
0: you know, whether it's Ofsted or whether it's a local authority or whether it's an academy chief executive going to review his in mm. the schools or in his or her uh, trust, how how can they? get over their confirmation bias or their ideological barriers in terms of assessing schools. So for example, uh, say a um, a good example is a head teacher I, I met recently who was in a very disadvantaged community and he's and I said, "Well, if you walked into a disadvantaged community over there, what would you expect to see?" Hmm. And he said, oh, "I'd expect to see what we do because it works." And I'm thinking, "Well, would it? I mean, how, you know, he's already going into there with a set with a set
1: ideology. How do you how can you guard against that I guess? That is of course uh, difficult because we are all influenced by the context in which we work but what is actually, here's actually an area where um, knowing some of the research I think can be helpful because that will point you to different models that also work and to some of the differences in context that may not be immediately obvious so um, disadvantaged areas are not all the same, they are disadvantaged mm-hmm. in different ways. Um, there is more than one way to skin a cat in terms of uh, making a school effective. So it, I think it, the first thing to do is to be aware of um, different models that exist and different models that work. Uh, I think that brings you some way towards that. Also um, experiencing different schools as, as as well the more schools you visit the more you become aware of um, differences and differences in context so i think that is a very helpful thing to do as well Mm. and i I guess there's
0: so many variables involved in evaluating a school or evaluating an individual teacher how in the research is that is that tackled so say i want to look at a teaching approach Mm -hmm. and i went in i said right these five schools are going to be my my my, the five schools i'm going to test my theory in or you know do some do some studies in. Yep. How do they isolate variables?
1: Okay so the first thing is obviously a school's not a laboratory mm. so we can't we can't do a purely experimental approach where we say okay this is the variable we're going to use um, let's randomly assign pupils etc so inevitably what you are going to have to do is take into account as many of the different variables that may affect what you're looking at as possible, which is one of the reasons why educational research is quite complex, because you tend to have to look at quite a lot of different things. So um, when you're looking at teachers, you can't just um, isolate particular things a teacher does. You need to collect data on the pupils, so you've got that contextual data. You need some data on um, school policies because of course a teacher does not work in isolation etc mm. and that—that that is why um, we end up with this, these quite difficult studies and sometimes what people think are not such clear answers because there are all these different firms that you need to get at and that is inevitable because even where we um, use RCTs in education and you're always ending up with quasi experimental studies where you are uh, at best randomly assigning schools because randomly assigning within a school is just not practical in most cases, or in some cases not very ethical.
0: And do you think, you know, one of the big the big uh, themes, I guess, out of the, the growth in research way of teaching is the counter-argument of, you know, sometimes we just know, sometimes we intuitively know that this will work for that child, or we intuitively know that if we do x with this class we'll get a y result and we've done it 100 times and it's been proven to be true i just can't give you a study that says so is there you know there's obviously dangers to that but in the sense that you don't try anything else and that you might be you could even it could be even so much better but what are there any you know is there any justification for that approach
1: sure i mean um Teaching is both uh, science and art, mm-hmm. and there is um, an element of expertise to it that is not necessarily captured in research evidence. So um, yeah, it's, it's never the case that you can just take a research approach and apply it. It's also about the expertise of the teacher as a professional who goes in there with knowledge of the individual kids, with knowledge of what's worked before in the school. So it's always a mixture of those things, yes. So yes, there is a role for that, absolutely. And is in you know is there a role for teachers who
0: perhaps feel that you know this intuitive approach is is really um, effective? Is there a role for teacher researchers you know research based practice where they say Do you know what, I'm going to look at this in my school, then look at it in four other schools? Mm-hmm. Is it te- is that the role of a teacher, or at that point when they want to look into it further, should they be contacting their local mm-hmm. university
1: and saying? Um. I I would say there's no rules on that. I mean, uh, I certainly wouldn't say that. Teachers always have to work with universities if they want to do research. I mean, um, a lot of stuff you can find out in your own school by working with other teachers, seeing what other people are doing. um, Lesson study approaches can be quite useful in that regard, for Mm. example. So I I would say, look at that on an individual basis. If you want that external perspective, which um, can be useful to give you a bit more of a critical view of what you are doing, go and speak to your local university. But that's not something you always have to do. Often you can find out things just by working with other schools, with other teachers, certainly. Mm. And we've talked a bit about being clear about the research and
0: being Mm -hmm. clear about the limitations of research. Is there an... An ethical element to it that say, if you uh, you know, if if a university, say you're back at University of Southampton, mm. and you found that uh, you know a group of schools in the main were underperforming, mm. is there a danger in stating that that the two that are perhaps performing in that group of underperforming schools?